Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome to Compass. I am Chris. I'm the pastor here. Really glad that you are with me. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about what really drives you? That thing at your core that motivates most of your decisions and your actions, that makes you spend what you spend, eat what you eat, relax how you relax. I mean, every day we make hundreds of decisions without ever really thinking about why we choose what we do. But I think that for many of us, it comes down to what we want, what we need, and what we deserve. What we want is simple. What we want is basically what we desire. I'm going to eat a salad because it tastes good and I like it. In this case, I'm driven by what I crave, what I desire. Want is based completely on our own personal tastes and impulses. Need, on the other hand, is what we require to survive, the basics of life. So I'm going to eat a salad because my body requires it to be healthy. I don't want a salad. I don't even like vegetables, but my body requires them. Unlike want, need seems straightforward, but it's tricky because need is in the eye of the beholder. Some people might think that they need new clothes for school, or they need a newer, better car, or they need at least $5,000 in their savings account, while for others, those things are all luxuries. Either way, what we think we need is a huge driver in how we live our lives. And then finally, there's what we deserve, which is what we've earned by our behavior or our actions, whether good or bad. I'm going to eat this salad because I deserve something healthy and unappealing after I ate so bad over the holidays. I don't want it, I don't know if I need it, but because of my bad diet of cookies and cake, I've earned a diet of salads. We deserve our paycheck because we worked to earn it. We deserve a ticket because we were speeding. I mean, we deserve things because we earn them. But this can also be subjective. Some would say we deserve healthcare because it's earned by simply being a human being, while others would say that healthcare is a privilege for those willing to work to earn it. I personally, I'm definitely driven by want. When my birthday comes around, don't get me a gift I need. If I need jeans, I'll buy jeans. Gifts are not for the meeting of needs, but for the satisfying of wants. Definitely don't get me something I deserve. I don't want to work for it. Besides, if I wanted a lump of coal, I would go buy a bag of it myself. Whatever drives you, how we see the world is shaped by what we want, what we need, and what we deserve. This also affects how we see God. We want God to be a benevolent force who gives us what we desire and keeps us from anything that would make life hard. We need a God who ensures justice in the world and keeps evil from gaining power. We deserve a God who punishes that evil, even when we're the ones who take part in it. And even these things, they're all subjective based on your own personal desires and experience. How you see things will be radically different if you were raised in church than if you weren't. So how can we tell the difference between what we want, need, and deserve? And how can we know where God fits into what drives us? Well, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look for answers beginning here in Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Now, for some very quick background, Jesus and his disciples are on this journey into Jerusalem so they can celebrate Passover. 
Passover is a Jewish festival where the people of Israel looked back to commemorate their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Now, Passover had also become a time when they looked ahead to the freedom that they were hoping for from the violent Roman oppression that they lived under. The story continues here, Matthew 21, verse 1. It says that Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Now, as we go through this section of Matthew, uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, uh, we're going to see a lot of things that we could talk about. We could talk about the fact that Jesus sent his disciples to get a donkey and it was just there and they got to take it, but we're not. I'm going to point out three things that I want us to focus on out of this. And, and the first is that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, this seems significant because Matthew said that it fulfilled a prophecy in the Jewish scriptures out of Zechariah 9.9. And that says this. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, this is significant to us today because it shows a link between Jesus and the king that God was pointing toward hundreds of years earlier. But the fact is, this was not something that people then took as a messianic prophecy. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the early Christians, they combed through the Jewish scriptures to find connections like this. But there wasn't a widespread expectation at the time that the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. But... The donkey is significant for another reason. You see, when a king rode into a city uh, that he had conquered and defeated with military might, he would ride in on a war horse. The horse was a sign of victory, power, dominance. And a general or king would do the same when riding into their own city after they'd had a great victory. Now, this story that we're reading, it's, it's come to be known as Jesus' triumphal entry, which actually called back to Roman triumphs. A Roman triumph was when a successful military leader came into Rome after a military victory, and the triumph was a parade, and it began with a long line of all of the defeated soldiers in chains, followed by the general riding in a chariot pulled by four horses, and then followed by his victorious army. A true triumphal entry would have celebrated a conquering hero and his army. But a donkey meant something totally different. When a king rode into town on a donkey... It was meant to project peace. Horses meant war. Horses meant strength and might. Horses meant military victory. But a king riding a donkey meant a king who was bringing peace. Look at what follows uh, in verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. It says, Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And then it says this, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. A king like the one described in Zechariah 
would ride a donkey and he would ride it in with a posture of peace and he would put an end to violence and conflict and war. He wouldn't be a king who used those things as tools to advance his kingdom. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let's look at what happened next in Matthew 21, verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Just like a Roman triumph, we find Jesus at the center riding on a donkey. But here's the second thing I want us to see. I want us to see road coats and palm branches. Because just like the donkey, these things have a historical meaning that the people in this story would have totally understood. Now, around 200 years before this event, there was a group of Jewish freedom fighters called the Maccabees. And these guys were able to retake Jerusalem. They retook it. They actually ruled over it for around 100 years before they were eventually overtaken by Rome. And when their leader, Judas Maccabeus, when he rode into Jerusalem after retaking the city, the people of Jerusalem waved palm branches in celebration of the victory over their foreign oppressors. The cloaks on the road had meaning too. Look at 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12. So Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be king over Israel. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. So in short, Jehu had been anointed the king of Israel, and his men threw their cloaks on the ground for him to walk on in recognition of his kingship. Now, after this, Jehu successfully, he led a coup against the current king of Israel, killing him and his, his sons and replacing his entire government. So in short, Jehu conquered the evil rulers of Israel and he drove them out after walking on the coats of the people who recognized him as their king. In both of the road coats and the palm branches, we can see the people thinking about the defeat of their Roman oppressors by a coming Messiah and king. Let's continue in Matthew 21, verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So as a result of everything that's happening, Matthew said that the city was in a complete uproar. There's hundreds of people entering the city with Jesus. They're waving palm branches. They're putting their coats on the road. They're chanting Jewish scriptures about God saving them. And the people in Jerusalem are like, who is this? In response, the people entering the city with Jesus, they said the third thing that I want to highlight. They said that Jesus was a prophet, a man in the tradition of ancient prophets who defied those in power to advocate justice for the oppressed, hope for the downtrodden, and punishment for unjust rulers. They recognized that as a prophet, Jesus was acting as God's voice in their time. Now, let's take all this together and distill it. The people see Jesus riding in like a king. They throw their coats on the ground in front of him like a newly anointed ruler who's going to come and drive out the current evil and unjust rulers. They wave palm branches for him like a hero who has conquered foreign oppressors. They chant passages from the Old Testament connected to messianic hopes, and they call Jesus a prophet. And yet... The same people who are chanting, praise God for the son of David now, will be chanting, crucify him in less than a week. How can that be? 
When the people in Jerusalem asked, who is this? The crowds with Jesus had the answer, it's Jesus. The problem was that while they knew who Jesus was, they didn't know who he was. They wanted a savior who would lead Israel into a new season of prosperity. They needed a military king who could defeat Rome. They deserved a Messiah who came in the name of the Lord to restore their inheritance from God. But all of these things clouded their ability to really see who Jesus was. And we're not that different today. When the question is asked, who is Jesus? I think we have a lot of different answers depending on what we think we want, need, and deserve. You know, Jesus is a loving God who wants us to be happy. He's an enlightened teacher like Buddha or Muhammad who taught universal principles for living. He's a vengeful God bringing punishment to the wicked and reward to the righteous. He's a close friend. He's an unknowable deity. He's a wise man. No, he's an all-knowing God. He's a social justice Democrat. He's a pro-life Republican. He's black. He's white. He's Middle Eastern. Jesus is whoever you want, whoever you need, whoever you deserve. The passage we're looking at today, it begins the final week of Jesus's life. And five days from these events, the same crowd that cheered for him is going to call for his crucifixion. Why? Because there was a mismatch between who they wanted Jesus to be and who he actually was. And when our expectations of Jesus differ from the reality of Jesus, it's always going to lead us to a separation from Jesus. Which brings us to our main takeaway today. Know Jesus as he is, not how you want him to be. The people wanted Jesus to be a conqueror, but he came in peace. They wanted him to immediately defeat the evil of the Roman Empire. And instead, he began a long-term long plan of defeating all evil in the world. They wanted him to rule as king of Israel in strength. And instead, he'll reign as king of heaven and earth in love. The mismatch between what they wanted Jesus to be and who he was made it impossible for them to understand what he wanted to do in their lives and in the world. What do you want Jesus to be? What do you think Jesus needs to be? Who is the Jesus you think the world deserves? Whatever your answer is, if it doesn't align with who Jesus really is, at best it'll lead to disappointment, and at worst, it'll lead to a rejection of the true Jesus and an embrace of the false one. We can't invite Jesus to ride into our lives and expect him to be our kind of king, shaped in the image of our wants and needs but we can expect him to be the right kind of king, the best kind of king. My prayer is that God would open our minds and hearts as we look at the kind of king Jesus really is over the next several weeks. My prayer is that he would align what we want, what we need, and what we deserve with the values of his kingdom. And my prayer is that as we go through this process, that we would truly know Jesus more tomorrow than we know him today. So join me next week, and I look forward to seeing what God does in our lives as he speaks to us. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.